Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. How is everybody today on this Thursday, March 18th? Well, today I have an amazing guest. It's somebody that I know very well, and we are going to delve into a subject that's pretty sensitive, pretty heavy. And um, the reason that we are going to talk about this, because on Fearlessly Authentic, we talk about things that um, we want to educate you on and empower you on and hopefully inspire you so you could live a fearlessly authentic life. Because to me, living with courage and integrity uh, is really what I think most of us want to do at the end of the day is that we want to be fearless. We want to live in our truth. We want to honor ourselves with living the way that we want to live. And But unfortunately, um, stuff in the world stops us from doing that. We fear judgment and we fear uh, what other people, um, again, judgment, thinking of what other people think of us. But today, um, my guest today is Grace Lee, somebody that I mentioned that I know quite well. She is my social media strategist. And welcome to the show, Grace. Thank you, Jerry, for having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, like I said, we are going to be talking about something that is a heavy topic. Uh, There has been um, a big rise in Asian hate crimes. And Grace and I felt a huge need to really bring this topic um, to the show. I did. And especially like what just happened in Atlanta a few days ago. Was it yesterday or was it two days ago? I believe it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. Okay. So two Mm -hmm. days ago. Tuesday night. Yeah. So I just wanted to give you a little background on Grace and who she is. And I'm going to, here we go. Ready for this, Grace? Yes, I am so ready. I've listened to to this podcast so many times. For six months, yes, Um, or longer. Grace is a social media strategist and content creator based in New York City. She has been working in the social media field for more than 10 years and is passionate about helping others find their voice and share their story on social media. Grace is also the host of the podcast On The Grow, which I love the name, which covers different topics ranging from all things New York City to sharing her faith, career, love of fitness, and more. She helps others learn a different perspective on things we go through and grow through in life. So again, welcome, Grace. Thank you. Let's start with, I want to talk about what happened in Atlanta on Tuesday, but I also want to start with what it was like growing up as a Korean woman um, in the type of neighborhood, the life that you grew up in, where are your parents from? Let's let's start from the beginning and, and what life was like when you were growing up. Yeah. So my parents my um, are both Korean and my they were both born in Korea. My dad moved to the U.S. when he was younger. So uh, my mom actually, you know, is from Korea and she, you know, attended college there and they met in the U.S. Um, so I was raised, I was born in Texas, but I was raised in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And for those who are not as familiar with the area, it is a predominantly white suburban town. So growing up, I was surrounded by a lot of American boys and girls. And there were a couple of Asians, but it was not, you know, it wasn't, um, there weren't a lot to say. Um, So you were definitely in the minority. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just growing up, I was just very used to seeing a lot of the American, you know, white boys and girls and just getting to know their culture or the American culture, not so much learning about my, you know, Korean culture in schools. And um, 
I slowly started to learn quickly that I was different from the boys and girls. They made it pretty known that I was different with my hair to the way my face looked. And they were very vocal about it. So tell me, what did they say? And, you know, growing up in that area and first growing up in Texas, then moving to North Carolina, did you realize this when you were younger, say in elementary school, or did this become, did you become more aware of the difference once you reached maybe middle school and high school? When did you start feeling that you were different? I started feeling at a young age. So I would even say from like pre-K to kindergarten, going into first grade. Yeah, it's interesting how even at that young age, you can start feeling the difference because even if you're a little short, maybe a little bit taller than everybody, your hair is different, you know, you might, I, I don't know, but whatever is different, I remember even with my daughter who's really, really tiny in nursery school. Her, she's very tiny and people used to make fun of her when she was like four years old that her hands were so small. So kids are very honest, right? Mm-hmm. In those in those young ages, people, kids are very, very honest. So what type of remarks did you start hearing? They would comment a lot about like my nose, my eyes weren't as big as theirs or why my face was so flat, why my hair was black. Like they were very vocal and it hurt. Like these words really hurt me. But the thing is, I took that because I heard it so frequently, I started to normalize it. And I started to internalize it. And whenever I heard those remarks, I was like, oh, that's the way life is. And that's how I, um, that was my mindset going into middle school, high school, college, um, thinking that it was normal. You just gave me goosebumps. Isn't it? It's horrible how that you had to normalize it, that you thought, okay, well, this is just how it's going to be. You, you didn't think about, well, what else can I do? You just sort of accepted it like, okay, this is, this is it. I mean, it is who you are, but when you start normalizing it, you start feeling like that normalization is maybe a little different. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what's another thing is the, the comment, you don't look Asian was the biggest compliment to me. So one of the reasons why I even decided to start highlighting my hair in middle school was because I didn't want to look like the other Asians. Mm -hmm. I wanted to look more whitewashed and it's sad because everything was all about how to look less Asian because I viewed being Asian as shameful. Oh, that that makes me so sad. So did you go home and tell your parents? Could you talk to them about it? And let's just... Well, we go back and we talk about, if you mentioned this to your parents, the um, the culture at home was just give me an idea of what the culture was at home. If you did come home and talk about this, what would your parents say? And what's this typical of other Asian cultures? I remember mentioning it to my parents, but you know, the more frequently it happened, the less I just shared. I just internalized it. I found different ways to, I guess, express it. And they weren't always the healthiest ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, My culture at home, you know, as a Korean family, I, my, my mom taught us Korean growing up. Um, We were very involved in the culture. You know, we knew how to um, speak Korean at home and eat the foods and all that stuff. So I was very involved with it. Um, and the thing is I had to separate it going to school. So I never took any Korean food to school because it was embarrassing because people would make fun of the smell or they would joke about it. So I didn't dare, you know, bring any of my culture to school. I remember, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish and I remember like going to school during Passover when we didn't eat bread and we didn't eat a lot of the foods that we normally would eat for that week because you couldn't eat unleavened bread. You couldn't yet. So we were eating matzah. And I remember feeling at some point in my life around seventh, eighth grade, like I didn't want to bring that food to school. So I, I understand that a little bit because you just don't, you never, especially in those, that during that time in middle school, you just don't want to stick out. You just want to blend in, right? Mm-hmm. And so were you able to, so were you able to talk to your parents about, hey, mom and dad, I, I, 
I, I just want to blend in? Or did they see that you were trying to blend in and say, hey, Grace, what are you doing? Yeah, I tried really hard. Actually, in fact, I didn't really tell them about that, but I think they saw the changes through my actions. So, you know, the more I started attending, um, you know, from elementary school to middle school, I started to define beauty by looking like the American girls in my classes. So I started to dress like them. I started to talk like them. I started to, you know, want, wanting to be accepted and fit in by them. So I was trying very hard and I would change the way I looked. And my mom, they were noticing changes. Were you the only one in your family who have two siblings? Were, did they do the same things or were you different? Are you different from them? <laughs> I was a little different. My sister had a Korean, um, Asian-based community mm-hmm. of friends. I, for some reason, just felt like I didn't really fit in with the Asian culture, I guess. You know, the ones that were at school. Um, so I just kind of strayed away from that. My brother, you know, he had a different um, situation being a boy. Mm-hmm. I feel like boys have it a little bit differently than girls, even though the racism is still the same. I feel like boys have a different way of, um, I guess, projecting that. But yeah. So you started changing so you can fit in, so you can blend in and nobody would notice that you were Asian. What about when you brought friends to your house? Clearly, you know, the culture was there, right? You can't hide the culture. Right. I was always embarrassed when my friends were like, can we go visit your house? And I was like, oh boy, because I started worrying about, you know, what paintings were in my house or right. what my parents would be wearing and what they would be cooking. And oh goodness, like the smell, you know, who knows if people would even like it. So I got really nervous about that. Um, and I've had even like friends growing up, they would always ask me like, where are you really from? Wow, really? <laughs> like being like confused of, you know, b- even being my friend, they're like, well, you know, we know you were born in Texas, but like, where are you from? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I grew up in Texas, right? I, yeah, it's, um, I think, did you find when you started, when you were in high school, so you were growing up a little bit more, did you get more comfortable with who you were? Did you find yourself evolving and maybe embracing your culture versus trying to blend in or would you say that's how you were through your high school years? Oh no, I was completely, you know, um, lost in wanting to blend in all throughout high school. I think college was actually when I started to realize that where I lived was a bubble. Yeah. Did the blending in, do you think that you did a good job blending in? I would say so. But the thing is, even though I blended in and I was, I guess you could say, quote, in the cool group, I still, there was a lot of discreet mistreatment um, in the group I was in. Like what? Like they would subtly, you know, make a racist joke um, that was deemed as funny because I feel like a lot of racist jokes are like, oh, it's funny, you know, you'll get over it. Um, Or they'll be like, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they would say some sort of like, it wasn't, a sting, but it was there. It was like a little bit racist and they just kind of brushed over it. And I brushed over it because, you know, I had to fit in and sound like them, talk like them. So I had to make fun of my own culture. That must've stung. That must've really hurt to hold that inside and to feel like, well, I need, I need to laugh this off because if I don't, then I'm not going to be able to fit in. And do you feel like a lot of girls now that you're older, did that same thing that you did during their high school years? I would say yes and no. I feel like I was a little bit different in the sense that my goal was seen as trying to fit in with the American girls that were in my classes versus there were a lot of Asians that had their own groups and they, you know, really um, took in their culture at school. Um, Not to say that everyone was like me, but um, I think it's, the environment you surround yourself is really the kind of person that you essentially become. Right. No, I, I understand that. And I think that when we try to be something that we're not, it kind of holds our heart in a certain place where we're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm really this person, but I need to be this person to fit in. And then eventually we grow into ourselves and we accept ourselves for who we are and we're not feeling ashamed of 
are who our parents are and how we were brought up. And then we want to share that. And that's usually what happens once you leave and you leave the home, right? Mm-hmm. You're able to create your own thoughts and process things differently. So when we come back, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to go into um, how Grace finally embraced who she was and talk about what's going on in the world right now. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, Following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code PODCAST to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with my guest, Grace Lee, and we are talking about the rise in Asian hate crimes. And Grace was just talking about how she grew up, how she was trying to fit in because she didn't want to look Asian, be Asian, and kind of was trying to keep her Asian culture away from her and just blending in to look as American and as she can, right, Grace? Yes. Yes. So I want to get into um, typical stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Let's, yeah. let's talk about that. So, you know, going to college and then I started to really embrace more of who I was because I started to hear more voices and other perspectives in college. And I think that really um, made me understand about stereotypes and how stereotypes are built on perception. Um, And this is really interesting. So last night I saw a movie called Minari and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. It's a beautiful film that is about a Korean-American family who mo- who moves to an Arkansas farm in search of its own American dream. And it's also won Best Foreign Language Film for Critics' Choice Awards and Golden Globes, Glo- Golden Globe Awards and six Academy Award nominations. So wow, I have to I have to watch that. You have to. It's beautiful. Okay. And the thing I really liked about it was it was really spot on to what our ancestors who are Asian immigrants experienced coming to America to pursue the American dream. 
And it's opening eyes to the Asian experience, Asian American experience and pointing out that Asian culture does not fit into one mold. So the thing I want to talk about stereotypes is a lot of people group Asians into this mold and, you know, they think, okay, they're going to be doctors, engineers, lawyers, and we're, we don't just fit into these STEM fields. And I'm a living example of that because I didn't go to medical school or law school or engineering. I pioneered a field of fashion and social media where Asians are not predominantly seen. It's discouraged within society and also within Asian culture in terms of financial stability. So I wanted to talk about how, you know, people's mindsets just go there naturally. Um, And this goes more into the model minority, which I can also talk about after. Um, Right. But I'm stereotyped. So in your family, when you were growing up, and I understand that that is the stereotype, right? Mm -hmm. Why do you think we have that stereotype? Where did it come from? I think it stems back from just our, you know, ancestral history of how Asians really paved their way here in America. They uh, worked really hard. They were successful. And and because of that, there's this expectation, which is the model minority. There is this cultural expectation placed on Asian Americans as a group that each individual will be smart, wealthy, hardworking, and spiritually enlightened. Mm-hmm. Right. I was reading about it. Uh, the definition of model minority is, you have it right there in front of you. Could you give our listeners what the definition of model minority is? Yeah. Um, so it's basically to put it in terms, it's the cultural expectation that a lot of people have on Asian Americans. And this isn't just for Asian Americans. This can be for other other groups of, you know, out groups, as they, as they have said, mm-hmm. um, that people assume and expect because of history and a lot of things that just, um, I guess you could say, is stereotyped. And because right. of that, everyone's placed under this whole perspective. And, you know, you have to understand that all Asians are the same. So again, going back to what I'm saying is, you know, me trying out social media and fashion, that's right. not the norm for no. Asians. So did your family um, have any issues with that, that you were not pursuing a certain career? Absolutely not. They were very supportive. So I know a lot of Asians, Asian families are not supportive of that. They want their children to be in the same field as them. And mm-hmm. there is also that stereotype as well, seen in films and media. But my family is very supportive in what I do. No, it sounds like you were always um, breaking through whatever stereotype there was. By coming to New York, you didn't know anybody, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and paving and really paving your own way. Right. So I have, let's talk about um, what's going on right now in the world with the rise in hate crimes towards Asians. And let's talk about what happened on Tuesday in Atlanta. Yeah. And it, what what I'm reading about regarding the hate crime that occurred there and other hate crimes is that it's really really hard to prove, for example, what happened on Tuesday that um that is a hate crime. Right? Have you read yeah. that? Yeah. And you, and, and that that must that makes me crazy because they're saying they can't prove it they're they're saying that there were other reasons for why this happened that the guy was a sex addict or something like that mm-hmm. but how do how do you feel being asian and feeling that he was focused on hurting these asian people well i feel first of all i feel enraged yeah because to be targeted just for being Asian is just something that like that it's giving me chills right now. It, it mm-hmm. just like, it makes my blood boil. Um, because now, you know, now I'm thinking of the fact that anyone can be a victim of Asian hate crimes. You can just go to a massage parlor or mm-hmm. a spa and be a victim. You can even be pumping gas outside. Like it, there are no, you know, boundaries anymore. And that's what scares me is that now I'm fearful 
of having to go outside and think about, oh, this, you know, shooter in Atlanta, right. he didn't know the people he harmed. Right. Which means anyone can do the same thing. Anyone can be targeted. Uh, would you mind sharing what happened to you when you were walking in Central Park a few weeks ago? Yeah. So I shared this story with Jody um, after it happened a few weeks ago. So I'll also share it here. Um, so my sister was visiting two weeks ago in New York City and it was a beautiful sunny day outside. My sister and I decided to go for a run. And so we were on our way walking to Central Park and this older man um, was on the side of the street and he just started shouting like Tokyo and, and like foreign, you know, words that you'll hear like Ching Chong, like those kind of words um, at us. At first I was like, is he talking to us? Right. Like, did I hear that? Did I hear that right? Or am I imagining yeah. this? And yeah, and that's exactly what I said. And we both turned around and I gave him a very foul look. because so I was like, is he talking to me? And he was. And when I turned around, he actually increased. He started to um, say it louder and louder. And I, that just made, reminded me of the times when I was bullied in school. And I was like, no, this is not happening again. Like, how old is this man? Like, right. like, how ignorant can people really be? And that's why I think we need to educate people because I think when people are, are hateful and ignorant, I'm just going to say it like that, hateful and ignorant, because then we need to educate people because we can't have these kind of people around. Um, I'm not saying to get rid of them, but I'm just saying to educate them because it, it blows my mind that there are still people out there that feel that it's okay to say something like that to you or to say something about other groups, you know, whatever, you know, any, any minority group, if you're not a white person, right? And you look a little bit different. And I'm not just targeting white people, but it's, you know, this is the majority right now. And they feel that they can target a minority group and say what they want to say. And it just drives me crazy that that's still going on in the world. Exactly. when When you gave him the look, did he say anything back to you? Did you say something to him? I was very tempted to. I uh-huh. honestly, because I'm the type of person, so I've mentioned this before, um, you know, on my social and just like my blog and just people who've been following me over the years, how the my number one pet peeve is rude people. Mm-hmm. And I don't tolerate bullies. I just think from growing up and just experiencing that, I don't let it happen to other people. So one, the fact that it was targeted to my sister too, mm-hmm. I immediately started to like tense up. And I was actually very tempted to turn around and actually say something to this man. Right. I didn't care how old he was. I didn't care if he had, like, I was going to say something to him. Right. You didn't care if he was bigger because you're all of five foot one or two. So (laughs) you're not a big person. Right. But I think like that has never stopped me. And I've just been very like strong in that sense. But I, it took every bone in my body to just not say anything to him. I just gave him a foul look. And I walked because I was like, you know what? He is not worth my time. Why do you think there's such a rise? Why do you think in the past year there's been a rise in Asian hate crimes? So one, I do want to make one thing clear. The Mm -hmm. rise of hate crimes did not start because it's not the only reason because of COVID-19. I just want to make that clear. Like it has always been there. I think Mm -hmm. it has increased because of COVID-19 and because our former president has declared it as a Chinese virus and called it the Kung flu virus. Right. So a lot of people have really um, wanted to, you know, as humans, we like to put the blame on other people. We like to point fingers and apparently Asians were the ones that quote, brought the virus to the States. So we started becoming targets. Are you um, involved in a group? So let's go back to when you were in high school. So you wanted to blend in, you go to college, you start embracing your culture more. Mm -hmm. So did you find, did you um, find a group of Asian girls and guys to hang out with? Did you hang out with more people from the Asian culture or did you, were you still, 
very diverse in your friends? Or did you feel a need to be grounded in the Asian culture? You know what's interesting about that, since you asked that question? I Nothing has really changed mm-hmm. except two things. I've really started to talk more with my family about this. And we've all become very educated in what's happening within that culture. And two, I started having more interest and wanting to be a part of learning more and just staying curious um, within that topic. I, I, I think there's a need to it. I think that you're very aware. You have a podcast, you have a blog. I think that you, from what I know of you, you want to help other people. And I think by really getting in the trenches and figuring out what you can do to, to stop to stop the hate crimes. I mean, that one person could do it. We all need to be united to do it. We all need to have that mindset in order to stop this. So when somebody who's ignorant calls out these dumb names to you, that they don't feel that they can do this, that it isn't, it isn't their right to be so cruel right? And, and just be so ignorant about what they're doing. And who said that they can do that? That just drives me absolutely crazy. So you're still basically, um, you didn't find that suddenly you were going to be entrenched in your culture when you went to college. You were still, it was very diverse. It was very diverse. Yes. Yeah. And so what can we do? What are, what are the things that we can do to start changing the conversation, changing the way things are right now? Well, I think there are a lot of ways that, you know, we can make a change. And I think one to start will be just um, amplifying the stories of people, of Asian Americans, because this is, it's hard to, it's hard for people who aren't Asian Americans. And and this also goes for other uh, minority groups, but to really know and understand without hearing the story of why someone feels this way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I by no means want someone to have to experience this themselves, but if they can actually open their minds and listen to, you know, just like you are helping me um, share my story on your platform and your podcast, just helping people understand the mindset of why, you know, we're traumatized by this, why we act the way we do and why this is, making us so sad and so upset. And it's not just to quote another shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes deeper than that. So I think that's one is really listening and being mindful of other Asian American stories. And another way is just educating yourself. So be using the resources. And there's a lot of really, really insightful resources out there. And the first one I would even say is Stop AAPI Hate. They have an Instagram. They have a website. It's stopaapihate.org. And you can learn how to donate, how to report a hate crime or a hate um, incident. There's different ways, you know, for someone to actually be a part of it without, um, you know, having to donate money. They can also join the organization and just learn more about it. Even in New York City, they're upping the security and they're having people help others walk home at night um, in California. So there's organizations like, I think they're like night walkers um, to help people feel safe. And that really helps is just really starting the conversation because I think people don't want to start the conversation because they feel like they don't know what to say. Right. And, um, you know, I, I feel that, what I've read is that the Asian culture is a very proud culture. And as I'm, I'm talking majority, okay, I'm generally speaking, I know everybody is different, but that they don't want to reach out and ask for help, that they feel like they can take care of this themselves. And that's part of the pride, right? Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm smiling because that's exactly how we, well, I can't speak for everyone, but how uh, my family and I feel. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And um, I read that the Asian culture is one of the, the, the cultures that are least likely to reach out for help when it comes to um, anything that they can do this themselves. Like we've got this, we're going to take care of it. We don't need anybody else's help. And I think that's change. That might be changing. Do you think that's a change 
in the conversation people are going to start having that maybe we do need outside help. Maybe we do need some help. Maybe we do need to be talking about this more, just like you and I are talking right now. Yes, because remember what I said earlier, we internalize it because Mm -hmm. that's our instinct because it's normal to us. So if we internalize it, you have to, you know, understand the reason why we're not quick to ask for help is because that's how we were, you know, raised. That's how we grew up. Um, So for us to help shift that mindset, uh, it's good to have other people actually reach out and say something. And I've had a lot of people over the past two days do that. And it's actually made me feel like, wow, people really do care, even though I know people care. But just seeing those words and seeing people actually say that they support me is really life-changing. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how you can make an impact on social media, what you do on social media to bring attention to this and to help other people and uh, what it's like being you. We have a lot to talk about when we come back. Hang in there with us, everybody. We'll be back in a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code podcast to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Welcome back, everybody. I'm with Grace Lee, and we are talking about the rise of Asian hate crimes. And it's a really, really sensitive subject. Um, Racism, stereotypes, hate crimes, it's very sensitive, and it really hits to our hearts. And I really appreciate, Grace, your honesty and sharing your open heart with us about growing up and your family and some of the bullying that you have um, witnessed on your own. And it's, it's not easy. And it takes a strong person to just take it in and just let it go. It's, you know, breathing in that, that, that beauty that you are, and then exhaling all of the negativity because we don't need that stuff in our life. 
And I know when that, that man that said the stuff to you and your sister, it's really hard to like not want to go over there and just give that guy a big punch, even though he was really old. But I know you would never assault somebody, Grace. <laughs> no. It's tempting, right? Very. Yeah, because you're pretty feisty. So I wouldn't want to really mess with you, even though you're a tiny little thing. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, the some statistics that we discussed uh, during the break regarding uh, jobless rate, physical assault, hate reports. And so let's go through those. I know you have them in front of you. What's gone on? And this is in the past year, correct? Yes. Okay. I found this very interesting. So I was just looking more into just like statistics in general of the hate crimes that were rising. And for example, during the pandemic in New York City, Asian Americans had a jobless rate of 3.4% at the beginning of the pandemic in February. And then by May, the rate had surged to 25.6%. All right, let's stop there. Wow. Why? Why do you think? Why? Because wow, that's crazy. 3.4 to 25.6%. By, yeah, February to May. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why? And this actually reminds me because starting in like February, late February to March is when the, um, the Asian hate crimes actually spiked. That was like the beginning of it. I know it wasn't seen that much in the news because the coronavirus was just taking over, but there was a lot of hate crimes that were actually really bad at that time. And because of that, a lot of businesses around the nation, including like Chinatown and Asian-led small businesses, started to decline because people weren't visiting. People were scared of Mm -hmm. Asians. So it was like this fear of like, oh gosh, like Asians have the virus. Um, So people wouldn't even, you know, support at all. So of course, jobs were started to go decline. And it makes sense that the rate just surged. When you were, so we were all quarantined between that time, uh, February and May, we Mm -hmm. were in quarantine. So were the restaurants closed? I know that you go you go to, I've never been to K-Town, so I have to, you have, I have to go there. Oh, you should, yeah. I know. Next time I'm in the city, I'll, we have to go. Okay. But did you, did you go there to support the restaurants during that time or did you basically stay in because we were all, we were all scared. We didn't know what was going on really. Did the restaurants close? What was going on there? Um, so one, I wasn't actually in New York city, but I know, but in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, all restaurants were closed to begin with, except like takeout, but you know, I I was living in a house, so I didn't really do anything, but I just remember, like I started sharing about this stuff in, in March and in April. And even my, like, you know, my brother got a prank call, someone telling him being like, you know, cussing him out and being like, go back home. Um, yeah, like an honest number. I remember getting really pissed about that too. Oh, we don't want to piss off Grace. <laughs> nope. One thing you learned from this podcast. Right. No, we don't we don't want to do that. Um, all right. So that jumped from mostly because you believe that people were blaming mm-hmm. the Asian culture for what was going on for the virus. Right. Okay. That's really sad. Yeah. Um, physical assaults. So it the stop AAPI hate incident data. So let's, the, let's tell everybody AAPI stands for Asian American Asian American Pacific, Pacific Islander Islander. Islander. Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. and they are a nonprofit social organization which tracks incidents of discrimination, hate, and xenophobia against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the U.S. Okay. Um, anyway, so it states in their data that physical assault made up eight point seven percent of incidents. Coughing and spitting comprised 6.4%. Verbal harassment made up 70.9%. And avoidance comprised 21.4%. So how do they gather this data? Because are people being arrested or how how do they gather this information? So this nonprofit organization Mm -hmm. lets people report tracked or incidents so people can report incidents so think about how many people actually don't report so so i'm sure there is a huge number there of reports that are not even report or yeah incidents that aren't reported and don't actually make this data i know you mentioned how somebody could get in touch with aapi do you have the link or do you have is there a phone number or is there a way just because we're talking about it now if anybody 
whoever is listening. And if they do witness a hate crime, they could report it. Yes. So one, I actually put it on my most recent Instagram. I have mm-hmm. the link there. Okay. Also, it is... And your Instagram is... Oh, at by Grace Lee. Okay. And it is stop stopaapihate.org. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then there was another... Um, so we talked about the jobless rate, the physical assaults, and then there was a hate report. Yes. So... The same organization, they received 2,808 reported incidents of racism and discrimination targeting Asian Americans across the U.S. Yeah, and there were 122 incidents of hate crimes in 16 of the country's most populous cities in 2020, an increase of almost 150%, or 150, yes, 150% over the previous year. And in New York, the increase there was the highest. Wow. What other major cities? Are we talking about Los Angeles? Los Angeles, yes. Um, I'm guessing Boston was another one. Uh-huh. Um, I want to say Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, now other places like, mm-hmm. like Atlanta. Right. So. Um, that the, the information you just gave us, was that again from February to May or is that present? It was between March 19th and December 31st, 2020. Okay. Okay. And it seems like it's on the rise again. Yes. And that 150% is a spike just over this past year. So why do you think more people are talking about it now? As you said, you know, we started, you started saying that, look, the hate crimes have been there all along. They're just now, now coming to the surface, now coming to the attention. Why do you think they're getting more attention now? Why? Because the news and media are covering it. Okay. If you have noticed headlines, there's a lot of headlines. Even I saw one this morning where it said, Georgia man, um, comma, uh, killing eight. It didn't specify that was a hate crime. That, that's the thing. <laughs> the problem about these headlines is they don't specify that something is um, racist or a hate crime. And I think that's where a lot of people just kind of like, don't realize what is happening. They just assume that it's just a, oh, a white man just killed eight, you know, seven women and one man at in an Atlanta shooting. So yeah. I think it's changing the narrative mm-hmm. and actually putting in, you know, what it is, stating right. what it is, is what is important. And I think a lot of news and media are actually doing that, which is good. So we're, you know, getting a lot of um, attention there and people are being vocal about it. I think people are having more conversations. As we talked about before, your culture is very quiet about wanting help. Mm-hmm. So now I feel that your culture is having more conversations at home and with their friends and talking about how this needs to be something that is um, highlighted more, that we need to talk about more, that we need to put in social media. So you are a social media strategist. So what are you doing to get... Um, get more attention, more people to be aware of what's going on and bring attention so we could squash these hate, tri- hate crimes. Right. I know we can't do it yes. all in one day. We can't do it all in one year. Um, but do you think it's because we're having these conversations at home and being more honest about what's going on? Yes. I mean, that that's the start is right there. And I think with social media, just because that's something I'm very passionate about, I think providing valuable um, facts and information about the situation. And I think starting with the facts is more important because, you know, once you start voicing opinion, like everyone has a voice of an opinion on social media, but if you start with the facts and actually throw in the numbers and people can, and, you know, these like resources and, you know, credit them, then people start to actually understand and admit and actually realize that this is something that needs to be discussed and talked about. So I think the start is really just following accounts that provide valuable and resourceful information on the AAPI community. And I also have a few on deck that I want to share that are doing a great job at this. Um, Just to name a few, the Stop AAPI Hate, Mm -hmm. uh, there's the Asian American Collective, there's AAPI Women Lead, and I can course, give Jody a list of these for people to follow. Um, but that that's just a great start just to 
really be involved in um, following and learning more through social media. Thank you for those, because I think the more we educate, the more we will know, and the more we can start changing the narrative. Um, We only have a few minutes left. I cannot believe how fast this has gone by. Who are your role models? My role models, I would have to say um, my family, my parents, uh, my sister. They really just empower me. And I think just um, seeing the direction of how hardworking my parents are, um, learning the culture from them and um, being in a, a family full of faith has just really helped me succeed in all the ways that, you know, I'm paving, you know, in this, um, in this life. And even just seeing my sister who is graduating from medical school this May and just seeing the track she's on and how hardworking she is, really just inspires me a lot. And it sounds like your family is really very open to letting their children be who they are. And I think that's so important to be that, that fearless person, right? They're Mm -hmm. like, go be you, right? Yeah. And I don't think that's really what you normally would see in a, in your, if you're generally speaking, right. As we spoke at the beginning, no, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. And your parents are like, no, you be you, right? Yes. So in speaking about being who you are, what does fearlessly authentic mean to you? Living a fearlessly authentic life means knowing your worth and not letting anyone tell you otherwise. Beautiful. Right to the point, as always, Grace. Thank you so much, Grace. If people want to reach out to you to get more information, how can they reach you? You can find me on Instagram at bygracely, or you can also reach me on my website. It's gracefullymade.com and my podcast, which is On The Grow Podcast. Wonderful. Grace, thank you so, so much for shedding light on this and sharing from your heart everything um, that you've gone through. And you are such a beautiful, wise human being. And I'm so grateful that we know each other and that you're in my life. And thank you for being on the show today. Likewise. Thank you so much, Jody. Bye-bye, everybody. I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.